Good morning. While I'm preparing, you may prepare by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8 will be where we begin when we first start looking at Scripture. I will, uh, since I don't normally preach to you, I will let you know that I'll let you know if we're going to turn to a passage because I've got a lot of them in this sermon this morning that we won't turn to that I'll just read to you to uh, facilitate not being... Uh, page-turning all, all morning long and losing uh, the thought or the idea there. So this morning we'll start at 1 Corinthians 8, but I wanted to begin by asking a question that you might ask me, and that is, why am I preaching on this topic? I mean, the Bible talks about love. Uh, you've heard about love and charity. Your pastor has taught you frequently about charity. In fact, he's made a promise to you that once a quarter you would hear about this topic because it is so important. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and said, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself is our perfect Savior. And you know, as you have heard for a, a number of sermons now, of the beauty and loveliness. He is altogether lovely. There is no spot or wrinkle or any such thing in Him, and He wants us to be without spot or wrinkle as well. So He is bringing us to perfection. Does the Bible emphasize charity? Absolutely, it certainly does. But we should remember that knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God, and I love to study the Word of God, and I love to know the doctrines, and I love to know them as solidly as solidly as I can, so that when someone asks me why I do something, I have a Bible reason for it. But knowledge puffeth up, and it's puffed me up many times. So I say that to my shame, not to my glory. But charity edifieth. So you can take that knowledge that the Lord gives you through His Word and edify other people. That's the goal. That is charity. The fact that you know something is not is not glorious. It's the fact that you can communicate it and give it to someone else in some way, whatever it might be, to build them up, to edify them. Charity is the bond of perfectness, as we read, and we want to be perfected in our faith. Charity covers a multitude of sins. Remember, we're not covering sins as though we dismiss sins against the Lord. We're covering the offenses that we may receive from our brothers and sisters, so that when we sing about meeting to worship in unity and in faith and in building one another up, we can cover all those sins, all those offenses that we make one toward another and get rid of them so that we can have true unity. Certainly we want unity in doctrine, and I love unity in doctrine. I've been in churches where they're not unified. The doctrine is fractured. Nobody really knows what the church believes, and they all trust in the love part to get them through. You need to be unified in doctrine, no question, but... Love covers a multitude of sins that occur when you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to serve others and you're rubbing up against them and interacting with them in your daily life, you're going to offend each other. And we'll talk about that a little later, how we can overcome that. The Bible says that charity is the last of eight things that you can add diligently. You start with your faith and so on, and we'll talk about those. Charity is the last of those and, and the highest priority right. in that list. Amen. Right. Paul prayed for the church in Philippi to love in knowledge and judgment. And so while love is important and charity covers sins, we don't, we don't love naively and we don't love without knowledge or understanding. We love with knowledge and judgment. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to increase more and more. And so today, I want you to increase more and more, even though you've already heard this message many, many times. I want you to increase more and more because Paul said we should all desire to increase more and more in brotherly love. I know, I know that as a group, you're a very mature church. Maybe you don't know that. From my perspective, you are. But you are uh, to be reminded, as Peter has said, that we are to be reminded. Right. 
He said, as long as I am in this tabernacle, I will put you to remembrance the things which I've already taught you many times. And you can imagine Peter stepping into a church that perhaps Paul preached at. And Peter knowing that there were things that Paul said that were hard to be understood, that were difficult sayings. And Peter, an apostle, to be sure, could step into that church and say that he was there to put them in remembrance of what Paul already taught them. I'm not Peter, and your pastor is not Paul. We both want to be like our apostle brothers because Paul told us to go after him, to to look for what he did and go and do the same thing. And so that's what we want to do. We also preach and warn and teach to present you perfect to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the preacher is to present his flock, his congregation, perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ, without spot or wrinkle. And so that's what we're trying to do today. That's what I've tried to do, and that's what Brother Jonathan does each and every day, that he comes before you, is to present you perfect, without fault, without spot or wrinkle, by teaching, preaching, and warning. And last today, we will take a look at charity in and of itself. We're going to look at the aspects of charity like a, a diamond, that we've used that as an example before of looking at the different facets of salvation. We're going to look at the different facets of charity. And many of the words that are used in 1 Corinthians 13 remind us of the same words that were already used. It's almost like repetition, using synonyms. That's a teaching method, and we're going to elaborate on that teaching method in the second service today. So I've asked, why am I doing this? I hope I've given you a bit of an answer. One thing I don't want you to do, and I don't think that you will, I can see your, all your eyes, you're looking at me, I don't think you're going to get bored with this topic. This is the second greatest commandment. The first one, we've been talking and, and learning about the Lord Jesus Christ for several weeks now. That's the first greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to do that today if the Lord tarries. So I've turned you to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The first three verses are what we're going to focus on, and I want you to look at the difference between knowledge and charity in these verses. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he hath, that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. This knowledge that we can have can cause us to be wise in our own eyes. When I first heard the scripture, be not wise in your own eyes, or for instance, Isaiah 5.21, which says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I understood that at at a level, at a certain level that I could be wise, I could think more of myself than I ought to think. But really what we've got now is an application here from 1 Corinthians 8 in the context of it being, you know, Corinthians, about the idols, that they're nothing, they're not important, and you have that knowledge. But if you don't use that knowledge correctly, you're going to hurt your brothers who are weaker and don't have that same knowledge that you do. So be careful. Be careful with the knowledge that you have. And be prepared to offer charity first, in front of the knowledge that you offer, in order to build up. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Certainly, it's also a warning for you not to be too proud and think that you know something. But brethren, please don't put on false humility that thinks that you can't say something emphatically from God's Word and say, this is the truth. That's not, uh, that is not pride. In fact, that is just the truth. It's the, it's the greatest humility there is because it's not your opinion. It's God's Word. Amen. Paul said to the Corinthians in an earlier chapter, Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. They acted like children, as little children, may uh, think that somehow they're going to get by with something. And so they were puffed up and they continued in their sin, which he was about to rebuke them for. In chapter 5, he said, Ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. He was almost disgusted with them for acting so childishly. But think about Paul 
Think of the knowledge that he had. It, you know, the book, the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter Paul wrote to the church of Corinth is a long one, 16 chapters. It's fairly long. And he takes careful pains to deliver each, uh, which there were many, each correction in that book with love and with grace and with encouragement for that church, which was a very carnal church. Charity is not puffed up. We are going to learn in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 4. But I don't want you to think that charity isn't, or that charity would, would, uh, would be approached without knowledge or without understanding or without judgment. And we're not to be naive in this charity. It certainly is to cover sins, but not to the extent that we don't have understanding. So let us, uh, consider Philippians 9, I mean Philippians 1, 9 through 11. If you'd like to turn to Philippians 9, 1 through 11, we'll consider that, uh, we have charity certainly. But we do not use that love as a crutch against understanding and against knowledge. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 and 11. <clears throat> and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. This charity that we exercise must be with knowledge and judgment. We don't, in other words, we don't apply charity without understanding, without knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul said, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So the understanding is there. It's difficult for me, and maybe it is for some of you, to not get so excited and zealous about the truth that you use it like a club or like a sickle or a scythe, depending on your part of the country, and to, to cut down and hew down people who really need charity who really need the love of Jesus Christ. And I shared with some brethren last night that we had preparation with. I, uh, did a little sidebar. I was so offended by the effeminacy of the modern church today that oftentimes I went way beyond to the other ditch of, uh, being too hard and too difficult and too zealous and tearing up people along the way because of my desire for masculine truth. For the truth of God to be presented uh, fervently and with zeal, like many of you or all of you are accustomed to. But that charity needs to be mixed with, I mean, that knowledge needs to be mixed with charity. So we also need to have understanding. Paul said, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to mix these things together. In fact, you've heard, I understand recently in a men's meeting, uh, Perhaps it was last uh, two Wednesdays ago. I'm not sure when it was, but the um, the idea that you know what there is time to set aside being right and correcting and be merciful, especially to fathers to their children. There's a, an appropriate time for mercy, and there is time by charity for mercy for those that may have not the knowledge of the Lord. I love to read the passages of Jesus Christ tying together a thong and going in and turning over tables, and that's my Lord, and I own Him that way. But I also realize His compassion and His love for those that would come in and, and bow at His feet and grab His feet or pound His chest and say, Be merciful unto me, Lord, a sinner. Right. He is abounding with compassion. Yes. Amen. We must have charity, but it's not absolute. It is not to cover up error. It is not to cover up sin against the Lord. In fact, true charity would come and correct sin against the Lord, which is the opposite of what many think. When I said earlier we have many churches out there that have no doctrinal understanding or very little or it's fractured. I've been a part of, of, of effectively doctrineless churches. It's all about love and getting together and, and serving or whatever. Uh, and they emphasize love and charity. And then there are other churches that are so intent on doctrine and being correct that they forget about charity and they forget about loving one another. 
They don't last very long. I've seen many of those dissolve very quickly because love does hold churches together even if there's no doctrine or even if the doctrine is incorrect. Churches with all doctrine tend to just fall apart if they're not practicing the doctrine of charity because charity is what the bond of perfectness is that holds them together. Let's look at the bond of perfectness in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Flip, flip back to Colossians chapter 3. In this chapter, Paul in verse 5 says that we must mortify our sins, mortify the members of our body. We've got to put away our sinful natures. We have to put away our old man and put on our new man. Right. It's something that we have to actively do. It doesn't come naturally. Of course it doesn't come naturally. We have to put on the new man. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us the new man through the power of the Holy Spirit when He regenerated us. We have it. You have the ability and I have the ability. But we have to do it. We have to decide to do it. In Colossians 3, starting at verse 12, Paul said, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. We are part of a single body. And I know that you've been taught that before. I'm not teaching it today. But 1 Corinthians 12 and others that describe every joint supplying and making up the body and each member being a a, a necessary part of the body of Jesus Christ. You know that teaching. This is examining and talking about the ways that we become one body. And that singleness of body that that coming together can bring about perfection. And you think, perfection, how can we be perfect in this world when we're still in the presence of sin? We are perfect before Jesus Christ whenever we are carrying out His will for us. Even though in imperfection in our bodies, we are doing so spiritually before the Lord. And we do that today. We do that today when we come together as different people, very different. I said to our church, uh, we're, we're not very big. We have just a few people. I, and I can see their faces very clearly when I'm standing in front of them and talking to them and their reactions. And I said to them the other day, you know, we're sort of misfits and, and castaways in this world. And we are. Amen. And don't be, don't be bashful. That's good. Because the Lord doesn't choose many wise in this world to be His. But He does choose those that are, um, that are not seen as very attractive by the world. In, in both physical appearance in some cases and especially in our personalities. Well, if the world doesn't like us in our kind of ugliness, then how should we get together when we're so different and our personalities are so different? We are not only lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're, if you think of this, uh, you know, we're in the same, we're, we're in the same tent. We're the ten virgins preparing for our Lord to come and marry us. And we're very different, uh, ten virgins. And there's a lot of room for difficulty and strife between the, the various wives, if you forgive the metaphor not being perfect, if you, if you understand, to have that kind of strife and difficulty. But we have one Lord. We have one Master who is perfect and who wants to perfect us. So Paul admonishes us here to be actively putting on charity. Right. You have to do it. Right. It's not just a thought. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Charity goes way beyond your, your feelings, although it includes them. And it's shown in activity. In verse 11, he, he says, just before he goes into what we read here, he says, forget respective persons. Okay, it doesn't matter that you're a Jew or you're a Greek or you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. You know, forget all those things. Each of us is different. In this, in our case, we might say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you were originally from South Carolina or from Michigan or from Missouri, or we might say, It doesn't matter whether you're male or female or whether you're young or old. We might find lots of ways to be distinguished between each other. Those things don't matter. We're to put on charity. We're to put it on for each and every person here. 
Forget respect of persons and be merciful. Be full of mercy. We're going to go into these traits, so I'm not going to elaborate on them right now. But look at what he says here to the Colossians. It's very consistent with what he said to the Corinthians. Be kind, be humble, be meek, be long-suffering, forbearing and forgiving, just like Jesus Christ did for you. Right. Put on charity and you can be perfect. I love perfection in doctrine. I love to study things. I love talking with Brother Chris last night and, and hearing some study that he had done uh, regarding 70 A.D. and some of the doctrines around that prophecy. It's wonderful. It's faith-building. I love it, and I want to be perfect in it as much as I can. But it's much more difficult for me to practice charity than it is to practice studying God's Word and being able to perf- perfectly present it to you or to, to even just present it to myself for the purpose of, st- of study and knowledge. We put on the charity to be perfect. Perfection in doctrine is something we should strive for, and I'm not diminishing that. I'm emphasizing charity today. Please turn to uh, 2 Peter 1. We're going to look at the eight things that we are to diligently seek to put on, the first of which is faith. In 2 Peter 1, we'll begin at verse 5. It's important to put these things on, and I want you to notice the progression as I read through these. It's in, or, it's in an order. He's not just saying, this is a list you know, of, of things that you can do. He's giving an order of putting these on and building upon them. And I know that we've heard this one before. We've heard it many times. I'm going to read it for the sake of thinking about the last one that we're going to get to, and also think about how do each of these apply to how we do Charity, how do we carry out charity in our lives? Verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. You cannot read those words and think to yourself, those are all very distinct and different things that we add. If I put on brotherly kindness, am I not putting on charity? Isn't part of charity defined by 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't that include, um, doesn't that include patience? Doesn't that include ruling your spirit or being temperate? You know, it's, it's, they're all very closely related to one another. We have a progression that leads to putting on charity. And so you start with this idea that, okay, the Lord's given me faith, and I'm, I'm going to build my faith a little bit, and I'm going to continue to build up my faith by adding to it virtue. And I'm going to take this little bit of virtue, which is my desire to do the right thing, even though I don't know very much, and I'm going to add to it knowledge so that I can know a little bit more, so that I can do those virtuous things that I want to do, that the, that the spirit that the Lord has given me wants to do. And I'm going to add to my knowledge temperance. I'm going to begin to rule my spirit. Because before that, my spirit's gotten me into all kinds of trouble. Because I wanted to do all these things from the Lord, but I was out there again with my hammer and my sickle instead of with my charity, which I haven't put on yet. And so you see the steps that I'm talking about. And now you add to that temperance patience. Patience is that thing that you may know that I lack quite a bit. Uh, It's difficult to wait. And charity is being able to wait. It's charitable to be able to wait on on uh, on your brothers and sisters, and it may be waiting on them uh, in in ways that you don't expect. Right. And finally, patience. Uh, you add to your patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. What's the difference between brotherly kindness and charity? I don't know, but the Holy Spirit decided to put both words there, both sets of words there, right. so that we can think about the importance of brotherly kindness and charity as being something that we want to add to our faith. We want to add it because the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a a new man, and He's caused us to think about and consider these things, and we are to uh, not just read over and gloss over these words and think, oh yeah, that's that's exactly the, the life that we want to live, but instead we stop and we look at these. Again, this is another set of facets we can hold in our hand and consider and say, Lord, there's not much difference between brotherly kindness and charity. 
But I want to know what the difference is, and I want to make sure I'm practicing both. And so I'm going to do both as much as I can with all my might. You master your fruitfulness. If you go on to verse 8, for if these things be in you, these eight things that we just talked about, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have all of these things that we talk about. It's building up to charity. And I was comparing charity earlier with knowledge and saying that you got to be careful. Knowledge puffeth up. And yet learning charity is knowledge. It's the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these things that come together and we can become fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to bear fruit in our lives. And many times that fruit is learning doctrine and becoming able to understand what it is that God uh, did for us before the foundation of the world or in creation or when he made us new creatures in him. Whatever those aspects and doctrines may be, those are good, but we learn even more and we become more mature when we learn about how to interact with one another and that the doctrines that we have learned change the way that we live and interact with one another so that we might put on the new man and become exceedingly abundantly fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our desire, and it's the desire that the Lord has for us. Peter gives that to us very clearly here. Let's turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As I said, we're going to hit a lot of Scripture. My purpose this morning, to remind you as you're turning, is to look at the various ways that Scripture emphasizes charity. This afternoon, we'll take a look at what charity actually is, and of course, we're getting a little taste of that as we go along this morning. But we're going to emphasize charity because the Bible emphasizes charity. Look at where we've been already in the New Testament. We've been to Paul. We've been to Peter. We will be to James. We're going to go back to Paul right now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have the church at Thessalonica. Uh, We all know that that church is one that Paul commends tremendously for being a very spiritually minded church. There are very few corrections that Paul gives when you look at these short letters to the Thessalonians compared to his corrections he had to give to the church at Corinth. That's right. But we have something in, uh, in, in verse 9 and 10 that I wrote to you yesterday. We're at 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But... We beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And we've had some great teaching by Brother Jonathan about these these phrases like more and more. That's not just a, a, a waste of words, the Holy Spirit using the word more twice. It's more. First, he's already said you've got it. He acknowledged and commended them for brotherly love. But he says increase more and more. And you might say, and more, and more, and more, and more. In the rest of your life, you will be increasing in brotherly love. Right. This is the church at Thessalonica, a, a very commendable church, one that's doing well, one that has not many errors like the church at Corinth. But the church at Corinth, he said to do the same thing. Because brotherly love, whether you're a, a church with very few difficulties and strifes like the Thessalonians, or whether you're a church like the Corinthians who had a whole lot of personalities in there that were clearly... Uh, rubbing each other the wrong way, so that so much so that he had to had to uh, admonish them with regard to spiritual gifts and talking to them about you know these spiritual gifts are great, but you're you're like a clanging cymbal, you're like sounding brass if you're exercising these gifts of the Holy Spirit without charity. It doesn't do any good to have all this doctrine and knowledge if all you're doing is cutting one another down and beating one another up with it, because you're not using charity. So in Thessalonica, Paul says, I want you to increase in brotherly love. You already do it. I want you to get better at it. It's not something that you should say, okay, we've got that. Check the box. We're going to move on. You can be a loving church and still put on brotherly love more and more. And so we're we're going to do that by the grace of God. Increase your love more and more. Right. Now we're going to go back to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is a, is not known as the apostle of love. Right? Peter's not known. Uh, we, we've got an apostle that, that many 
would would deem the apostle the 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 apostle that Jesus loved. We've got the apostle John, uh, who talks a lot about love in his epistles. We don't necessarily think of Peter. Peter's probably more like I I am in that he he loves doctrine and he's zealous and he loves to charge out and get in front and uh, make things happen and say things boldly and oftentimes regret what he said, especially prior to uh, the Lord's death and resurrection. Um, I love the Apostle Peter, and oftentimes as I shake my head and say, Peter, how could you say that? I'm saying, Jim, how could you say that? How did you do that? This is your Lord. You were with him for three years. I, well, anyway, you've, maybe you've gone through that as well. I love the Apostle Peter. And here in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 8, he says, finally, he's speaking to all of us, as, as uh, it was pointed out to us earlier. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Singleness of mind is agreeing to overlook offenses from the beginning. When you join this church, I happen to know that one of the things that you were asked is if you understood that you were coming here to serve and not to be served. It's a great question. We need to remind ourselves of that because oftentimes we come in and not even intentionally, we think to ourselves, I wonder if brother so-and-so is even going to look at me, look me in the eye today because we had a little dust up last week. What are you thinking that way for? Why aren't you charging over and looking him in the eye and, and restoring that relationship? I'm getting ahead of myself. That's my sermon this afternoon. We are to agree to overlook offenses. In order to be single-minded and to be unified, it requires compassion. Uh, this church had a few weeks ago, and I was able to be a, uh, present to see it, had a tremendous amount of compassion for a brother and, uh, well, for several brethren and, and sisters who lost a, a wife and a mother and a grandmother, and there was much compassion in the room. There was a lot of... Uh, there were a lot of shared tears, and many of you have, have known our sister who's with the Lord now for, for many years, and there were folks like me who've only just really known her a little bit. But that compassion is when you come around a brother and you're, and you're stretching out your arms figuratively and you're coming around him in support and love and you're feeling his pain with empathy for his loss and for the loss of the others that were that were members of that family, and of course for your loss as well. That's compassion. We don't have to have such a dramatic event as uh, the death of a of a brother or sister to have compassion, because each and every day each one of us has something that happens to us or many things that happen to us that are difficult that we have to struggle with or deal with. And if you realize all the things that you're thinking about that are challenges in your life, you're going to forget that you have brothers and sisters around you that have probably had that many challenges or more in order to, uh, you know, in order for you to be compassionate toward them. Now I'm getting into my second sermon again. But it requires compassion in order to feel the things that the others are feeling around you. And so because you, uh, Take the focus off of yourself and begin to have compassion on those around you. The Lord lifts your spirit because you don't, you're not wallowing in your own self-pity anymore. Instead, you're thinking of others and maybe it makes you feel a little better because you're not having so difficult of struggles. I hope that that's not the only thing that makes you feel better. But the, the point is you're not thinking about yourself. It's compassion and pity and love and something else. You're to be courteous one to another. 
You know, we live in a very degraded world uh, with, with regard to decorum and proper etiquette and things of that nature, and it, it brings us down and we don't realize it because we're surrounded by it. Uh, we're, we're very much like the frog in the boiling pot. He doesn't, he's brought up from cold and it's, it's to the boiling point. He doesn't even know he's been cooked. We've been cooked with regard to being in this pot of filth and this pot of, of really just coarse behavior that is not at all becoming the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very easy for me to pick it up at work, school, wherever else you might be surrounded by this. Courteousness is a, is a, something we used to call common courtesy, right? It's because you have you're thinking about the person that you're with and you're helping them to be comfortable with you instead of being you know the basest you can be or hey I got to be me which is the way the world looks at it today. This is all contrary to our flesh. Our flesh doesn't like this at all. You see the flesh of most people and you go into churches perhaps where it's come as you are. The come-as-you-are mentality of, of uh, some of our churches is saying, don't worry about anybody. They say their church is filled with love, right? Because you're not judging the people that are coming in. You're being discourteous if you come in in flip-flops and shorts because you're making people uncomfortable, perhaps. You're not thinking about others that are around you, that this isn't a beach to me. This is the house of God. Right. And I'm going to dress respectfully. And that may be different for you depending on what you're able to do. And I'm not preaching on how we're supposed to dress for church. But we do these things to make each other comfortable. And these crazy-looking suits that we wear, I say crazy because who came up with this? But it's our culture. It's our attitude. It's our idea that this is what is comfortable. It's formal. It's, it's It makes everybody... You know, nobody feels... If I hope if you come into a church and a guy's wearing a suit, you don't think, wow, this is really a strange place to be with this guy's wearing a suit. Um, it's, it's comfort. It's thinking about those that are around you. Again, look in, uh, we're still there, first, uh, first Peter chapter 3. One of the th- things that Peter emphasizes here besides compassion for one another and love and pit- pitifulness and courteousness is looking at what comes out of your mouth. Uh, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, and especially railing for railing being involving the lips. And down in verse 10, uh, your lips will not speak guile and your tongue will refrain from evil if you want to see good days and love life. Right. Another thing that, and probably the thing that causes the most difficulty and the lack of charity in us is our tongue, is our lips. We're unlikely to, you know, really physically do anything that offends people, but we're very likely to say things that offend people around us. So again, Peter here and other, uh, other places that we'll look later emphasizes the, the lips and the mouth and what it is that uh, we say and do that causes others to uh, be offended. And remember the, the warning in verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. Right. He's watching. And so... If our goal is to be charitable, if our goal is to be like our husband, who is altogether lovely, who has the best charity, who has the most compassion, who is the meekest, who is the most compassionate, if we're going to be like him, then we ought to know he's watching. The eyes of the Lord are on us. (coughs) Excuse me. Does that mean that we're motivated by guilt and that we're, we're motivated by this, uh, you know, mommy or daddy is watching? If you train children, you know you want your children to do the right thing when you're not watching. Right. right. But that they know that you are watching is a great motivating factor, and Peter's giving us a little motivation here. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. They're over the unrighteous too. But the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He's not looking to see if you trip up so that he can cut you down. They're over the righteous in a way that is good and benevolent and loving and kind so that when we are going to trip and fall, He's there to pick us up and set us back up, dust us off, and we go on again. Amen. We're going to talk about forgiveness later today because forgiveness is a key to charity. Forgiveness will be a very important aspect of charity for us to be able to put it on. Because it's not just a feeling of, I, I, I love my brothers, we're, we're unified, we're walking in lockstep. Forgiveness is key to charity because if you don't, 
forgive, you will have bitterness and strife and envy and all the other things that will tear up any peace and unity that this church and the, and the body of Christ can have. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. If you want to have the Lord hear your prayers, if you are struggling with an area of your life that you've prayed for for years and you're wondering why the Lord isn't hearing you, this isn't the only reason, but examine yourself and find out whether or not you are behaving in this way, being compassionate one of another, loving his brethren, being pitiful, being courteous. Are those areas that you've got covered? Are you thinking about them? Are you are you doing them? Because the eyes of the Lord are on you, but his ears may not hear your prayers if you are not living righteously. Confess your sins. Confess. He is faithful and just to forgive, and he'll do it immediately. There's no hesitation on his part to forgive. And I'm not, uh, I, I, I hear talk of this. Uh, I understand that there are some people that have a, a bit of a melancholy temperament and they dwell on these things. I say this tongue in cheek because I, it, it, that's not my, my temperament. Uh, I don't dwell on anything, right? I'm just kind of mindless flitting around most of the time. The Lord Jesus Christ does not stop forgiving you. Right. If he did, he would be unrighteous because he's already covered all of your sins by what he paid on the cross. Amen. Don't let the, the Satan or your evil flesh think and throw fiery darts at you and make you think that he won't forgive you. Right. That's, that's a lie from hell. There is no reason for you to think that he won't forgive you. Confess your sins and he will forgive you. He is faithful and just to do so. Amen. He will not stop forgiving you. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So don't worry about them. If there's, if there's a key to unlocking the door to, to what I think charity is, it's while we're worrying and concerned and considering the other person that is a brother in the Lord that we're dealing with, the rest of them don't worry about. The eyes of the Lord aren't on them. You know, if you read uh, Matthew chapter 5 in its entirety last night, you saw that you're going to be persecuted and you're blessed if you're persecuted by ungodly men. Don't worry about them. Right. You know, right. the, the charity that we're sharing, certainly we'll, we'll be charitable to them when the Lord brings them in our path and so forth. And, but, you know, if you can concentrate on being charitable to your brothers and sisters in the church, this is the first place, the second place after your house, after your home, your family, right. that you can exercise charity. Right. And we'll get to uh, exercising charity in your home in the next, uh, in the next, actually, I was not going to have you turn to this. Uh, Proverbs 16.32, if you want to turn there, you can. It's a proverb I hope we all know. And that is with regard to ruling the Spirit. It's short. It's easy to memorize. I'm not going to try to say it from memory so that I don't mess it up. I know the concept because I say it to my children all the time. He that is slow to anger is better. This is, by the way, Proverbs 16.32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Amen. Uh, my children, most of them, love putting on uh, plastic armor and helmet and swords, and they love you know fighting. They're knights. They love to, to go out in the yard, and if it's not that stuff, it's uh, you know guns that they fashion out of whatever branch fell out of the tree or whatever Legos they can build. But they, they love to you know play fight in that nature, and they're always defending. And they're always going to, uh, it, with noble causes to defend. And they're taking a city and they're leaping over walls and they're tearing down strongholds and all those things that kids love to do. And they, and so we rejoice in that. And so the, so Solomon, when he wrote this and the Holy Spirit by inspiring it, helps us know and we understand that taking a city, a walled city that's heavily defensed is a very difficult military task. It's very difficult to do. So probably the the strongest vision of a man that we can have is one that can tear into a city and destroy it and overrun it. And so we have many examples of that in the Scripture. I love Jericho. I love the fact that they tore Jericho down by marching around it and blowing trumpets instead of, uh, instead of actually tearing the walls down with picks and axes. But if you can imagine the most difficult city to penetrate, that's nothing compared to ruling your spirit. 
And so I hope that doesn't discourage you. It's meant to encourage you. You can be stronger than a man that that tears down a city by learning to rule your spirit. And remember that temperance, that temperance thing that we talked about early on. Temperance is ruling your spirit. It's taking that ability. It's it's gaining the ability to take what you know about yourself and your and your unruly spirit, your old man, and crushing it and putting it under. Why is ruling your spirit important to charity? Because when you don't rule your spirit, generally the what it's doing is hurting everybody around you. Because that spirit is wicked and evil and comes from the depths of the most despising, despicable and dis, and uh, um, evil thing, your own heart. It comes forth out of that heart and it comes forward and it thinks I'm right. And it thinks I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to show that I'm righteous in this matter and it crushes everybody around you. That's the spirit. So we must rule our spirit <coughs> in order to have peace. Wisdom requires a ruled spirit. If you want to be wise, rule your spirit. Even if you're not a child of God and you can learn to rule your spirit, you'll do well in the world. Because the world marvels at people that are actually able to rule their spirits in the workplace. You'll, you'll go far. Many times you'll be advanced because of your ability to rule your spirit. Churches are a great place to practice ruling your spirit. Perhaps you don't think so, and I'm not talking about Sunday mornings when we come in here and we're, we've really carefully put ourselves together and we're on our best behavior, but I'm talking about the interaction that you have within a church because somebody said they were going to clean the bathrooms next door, uh, but it didn't get done, or somebody said they were going to communicate something to someone else and it didn't get done, or whatever the case might be. That's where the real living out of life in a church gives us great opportunity to rule our spirits and to practice charity. Families are a great place to exercise ruling your spirit. In fact, I think families are the best place to practice that because you're the least likely to have your guard up when you're at home with your family. And so if you think, I've got a pretty good ruled spirit, I always do at work. I always I always do great at work. It's very easy for me to rule my spirit at work. I hope that doesn't bother you. It's very difficult for me to rule my spirit in my own home. In the comfort of my own home, my children know me. They all know this. all of my sins and all of my weaknesses, my wife even more so. Why can't I take the people that I love the most and rule my spirit the easiest with them? Why am I trying to impress all these people I don't... I don't like anyway. I don't think anybody at work is going to be listening to this. You can be uh, stronger than the mightiest man if you will learn to rule your spirit in your home, and that's a great place to practice it. It's a great place to practice charity and all the things that we'll discuss this afternoon as well. If you can do it at work, why can't you do it here? And why can't you do it at home? Now we're going to get to James. I was waiting with great pleasure to get to my favorite apostle in the Bible, the Apostle James. I just say that because it's my name. I I love all the apostles. Please turn to James chapter 3. I don't know that my uh, parents had this James in mind when they named me James. But there are many things that this James says in this book that he wrote uh, that I love. In James chapter three, I don't love it enough though, uh, because this is the great tongue, uh, the the great tongue book in the Bible, right? That right. that talks about the the difficulty of ruling our tongues. Perhaps that's the uh, second most difficult thing to rule, uh, besides ruling your spirit, which of course they're terrifically related. Right. Uh, James chapter three at verse fourteen. <clears throat> See, envy and strife are of the devil, but peace and righteousness come from wisdom, which is from above. Amen. Uh, James 3.14, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Amen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, right. then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We have another apostle 
another part of the Bible. He's got a completely different reason for writing this epistle than Paul and Peter did, and he's saying the same thing about charity. It is everywhere in the Bible, brethren. I love looking at the at the doctrine of election, and ever since I learned the five phases of, of salvation, I, sh- I just said doctrine of election, doctrine of salvation, ever since I learned about the five phases of salvation, I love reading through the Bible and seeing in every different way how how salvation is talked about and presented in the Bible. Love is there more. Amen. Love is talked about. Charity is talked about even more. Right. Hold up that diamond in front of your eyes. It's a big one and marvel at the diamond of charity and love called for in the Bible. And I'm not talking about God's love for us. I'm talking about God's admonition for us to love one another. Get as excited, and I'm only preaching to a few of you, get as excited about that as you are about the doctrine of election or the doctrine of, of salvation. Study that and then apply it to your life. James gives us some wonderful advice here. Envying and strife, do you have some? What's it come from? The devil. It's sensual. It's earthly. Earthy. It doesn't come from above. There's no, there's no, nothing godly about it. If you're striving with brothers or sisters or even people at work, of course you're going to have strife. I'm talking about arguing. It takes two to argue and arguments always are over pride. The people that are arguing, there has to be pride there. Otherwise there would be no argument because all you have to do is lay down your pride, and I'm talking about not, not talking about matters of truth. I'm talking about matters of personal offense. Lay down your pride, and the strife goes away. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's lusty, if you will. Wisdom, however, on the other hand, creates both purity and peace. And I love this verse, and I know many of you do as well, because wisdom that's from above is first pure. We love ordinals. The word first is an ordinal. It means that it's first. It's the first thing. What's important about wisdom? That it's pure. That it's without any error. It's first pure. And so we wouldn't put uh, the second thing, which is peace, above purity. We want pureness first. Peace comes second. So inasmuch as we can be peaceable, we want to be peaceable, but not at the sacrifice of the purity of truth. Amen. So we need, we have that balance once again. Be a peacemaker by following after charity. If you want to know how to become peaceful, be a peacemaker, then follow after charity and it will follow you. Peace will follow you. We have one more, brethren, to look at and then we will conclude, and that is Matthew chapter 5. I hope you had a chance to read Matthew chapter 5 last night in uh, in your preparation. It's a wonderful, somewhat long chapter, uh, and, I, and I gave you a few things to emphasize I'm not going to talk at length about uh, the Beatitudes. A wonderful little girl walked up to me today and handed me a bookmark that has the Beatitudes on it. And I thought that was precious, and I I can't see her eyes, but there she is right over there. Thank you for the bookmark with the Beatitudes on it. We could study these, and we would know everything we would need to know about charity. It's not a complex subject, and I've taken 45 minutes to talk about it, but it's not a complex subject. We have in verse 3 of, of Matthew 5, we've got poor in spirit. That's related to charity. We've got in verse 5, meekness. That's related to charity. We have in verse 7, merciful. Again, related to charity. And verse 9, peacemakers. All of these are other-oriented. So if you want to be blessed, if you want to have the beatitude of Jesus Christ preached here, Half of the of the um, eight things that he lists there, or nine, are other-oriented. So look to how you can treat others. But again, I wanted to look at verse 43 through 48. <clears throat> and I'll even turn from John to Matthew here so that I read the right thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus is correcting again after correcting and correcting and correcting errors of the Pharisees, he is now about to correct another. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." 
For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Again, perfection is related to charity. If our goal, and I think yours is, to be perfect in the Lord, to be, to be moving toward perfection, running the race, as Paul talks about, pressing toward the mark, uh, running to win the prize, it's perfection. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're trying for. Here it is again. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect by doing what? By turning the other cheek by not allowing your enemies to gain rule and control over you by reacting to them railing for railing, evil for evil. Don't return it to them. It's a choice that you make. You choose whether or not you will respond. And we're not pacifists, and this passage isn't about pacifism. And I have, if anybody ever wants to talk to me about pacifism, I come from a long line of uh, Quaker pacifists. And uh, and I'd be happy to talk about that another time. It's not important here. But many go here and say, look, you can't. You can never. Uh, I'm going to talk about it if I don't stop talking about it. <laughs> the point is that this is not our nature. Our nature is to take up offense and kill that person. It's to take that evil that was ta- that came upon us, turn it up a notch, and go right back at them. That's our nature. But Jesus says, no, that's not... The right, that is not, you Pharisees, the appropriate response. Don't go to the eye to the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth verse in Deuteronomy, which was talking about legisl, or, uh, about civil matters right. and taking things, uh, in, out of the context of the law and applying them as though they applied to, to offenses between brothers. That isn't the way that you apply the law, Jesus said. You apply it this way. You apply it with love. You apply it with compassion and you consider that you're not going to go out and tear down uh, and, and, uh, and destroy your enemies, but instead you're going to love your enemies. And what's the big deal if you love people that love you? Are you showing anything uh, that, that even heathen and publicans and others do? They can do that. It's not a big deal. If you want to show that you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, love your enemies. Do the opposite of what your flesh wants. And this is the same thing. Now, I'm, these enemies are primarily not, we're not discussing enemies that you might have in the church. I hope you don't have enemies like that, that are despitefully using you. I hope nobody's despitefully using anybody in here. But look, if they're not despitefully using you and you're supposed to be charitable toward them, then how much more a brother who's actually probably trying to do the best he can for you and offends you in some manner how, how, and we'll talk about this. We'll think the best of him. We'll consider that his motives are good, but the, the outcome was bad. And we'll forgive him without even mentioning it to him. And we'll be charitable toward him. And we'll be a peacemaker and we'll cover it all. And we'll have unity in the body of Christ. Right. This is the doctrine of charity from the Bible. This is what I've been trying to put you in remembrance of this morning. Right. I'm putting you in remembrance and, and maybe even saying I'm putting you on notice that just because you've heard this before and just because you've heard it many times, remember Paul said, I want you to do this more and more and more and more. Brotherly love will cover a multitude of sins. And there are plenty, as I confess, that I have myself that you can help me cover and I will help you cover yours by practicing charity. Knowledge puffs up. Don't get, don't get Bloated with your knowledge. I like bloated versus puffed up. Don't, don't get all big and, and filled with yourself and think that I've got all this knowledge about doctrine and I'm going to go out and make things happen. Uh, knowledge puffs up. Charity edifies. Amen. If you're knowledgeable, great. The Lord's given you a gift. If you're able to communicate that knowledge to someone, even better. Now go out and edify by being charitable. It's more about what you don't say and how you cover uh, the sins of your brothers than what you tell them about what they're doing wrong. Right. It's the bond of perfectness. If you want perfection, put on the bond of perfectness, which is charity. Put on charity. 
there are eight things that we are to add to, well, there are seven things that we're to add to our faith in order to be mature Christians, Peter says. And the last one is charity. And the second to the last one is brotherly love. And I would love to talk to anybody about what the difference between brotherly love and charity is because I'd love to hear what you see when you turn that diamond in the light and think about the wonderful gift of charity. Increase more and more, brethren. We will talk this afternoon, the Lord willing, about charity worked out in our lives. We got a little of it here. You can't talk about the doctrine without it. But I want to talk about the very practical nature of charity and what you and I can do described from 1 Corinthians 13. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.